and to love our neighbor, which is to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Then empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're commissioned to go and make disciplined and passionate followers of Jesus. And when he said that, I went, that's our last 10 months. What he had done, the reason he mentioned that is that was the, the theme of their, their last uh, assemblies, uh, Pentecostal Assemblies conference where they had thousands of leaders gathered in Ottawa for a nationwide leadership convention. And they kind of based it on this. And so here you have a totally other, another denomination, one of which is much larger than ours, a massive, they have some history, I came out of that denomination, but here you have them for the whole year. This is their theme, a theme that we've been following. You'll remember in the fall, we talked about Micah 6.8, to do justice, to love mercy, walk humbly with God, which to us is the Old Testament version of the New Testament command that, that Jesus reiterated, really. It's not just a New Testament command, but he reiterated to love. The first command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then... Oh, and, and we moved into January and we talked about worship, walking humbly with God, being a people, a community of worship. And then we moved into uh, evangelism and discipleship. So then empowered by the Holy Spirit, we were commissioned to go and make disciplined and passionate followers of Jesus. So I don't know. I just thought that was kind of neat. I don't know about you, but I thought it was kind of neat. So just quick re review, evangelism is that aspect of the church's mission which endeavors to offer every person the opportunity to encounter and embrace the good news of Jesus. And, and discipleship is that aspect of the church's mission which helps people mature, develop, and thrive as fully devoted followers of Jesus. So we said that we've argued that they are two sides of the same coin, that you can't make disciples without evangelism, and, and, you, and you, you're not going to do evangelism without making disciples because uh, otherwise bad things happen when the church, as the church experiences. Uh, things like residential school, uh, the crusades happen when you, you try to advance the kingdom without discipleship. So those are two very critical uh, sides uh, of the same coin. And then we took some time uh, when we started the series in mid-April to define a disciple. And uh, by the way, this is Pentecost Sunday, so I'm moving towards that, so hang on to your hats. But just quickly reviewing, I think it's important. We, we defined a disciple in three phrases. Number one, one who has made Jesus Lord of their life. Not just says he's Lord, <laughs> but has made him Lord of their life has made him their primary identity through water baptism. We, we, when a person is baptized, they're saying that my primary identity be, before my family of origin, before my ethnicity, before my denominational affiliation, my primary identity is in Christ. That's who we are, right? And, and, and that's part of making Jesus Lord, that when they came to Jesus and said, hey, your mama's outside. Your brothers and sisters want to want to talk to you. He said, "Who are my? Who is my mom? Who is my brothers? And who are my brothers and sisters?" It's those who hear the word of God and do it. And so, so he established our primary family identity. Not that our family of origin isn't important. Some people have gone to the extreme of kind of not being very loving to their families when when they've taken scriptures out of context. Part of our 
what Jesus does is he incorporates the love for a family in this larger reality. And just says that his point is that sometimes there are choices that have to be made between your father and mother and what they want and what God wants. And at that point, you have to say, I'm following Jesus. I have to do what he wants. So, so just to keep that in perspective. But obviously, loving our parents, loving our families, loving our children is, is part of following Jesus, isn't it? Secondly, has joined, they have joined themselves to Christ. Oh, sorry, I forgot. I didn't finish the last statement. Sorry, I get carried away there. He endeavors to worship, he or she endeavors to worship God in all areas of their life. Uh, they have joined themselves, secondly, to Christ's church and community where they are known and accountable for their discipleship. Where they are known and accountable for their discipleship. This is why we're moving gently towards small groups. We're in the fall. We're, we're, we're going to launch a two-month test project, as it were. And, and this is... This is not to negate small group uh, things that are already happening. There's a men's group and a women's group. And, and uh, th- there's been other expressions, small group expressions. We're, we're not going to kind of bulldoze over that and say, oh, we're just starting afresh. We want to work with groups that are already happening. And if that is the, is the expression of where you're known in community, then continue to make it that. But there's a lot of people in our church who... Weeks can go by. I try to visit and call and go to the hospital. And, and by the way, it's great to see Paul here. God's just doing a great work in you, Paul. Welcome back. And I, I try to do that. But there's lots of times I go weeks where I don't know how you're doing. I don't know how people are doing. And then you, sometimes you find out too late there's a crisis or something's going on. And so we know that the, the, through church history, the way to address that is through small groups. But we want to allow the Holy Spirit to create these wineskins. So that's why we're moving towards that. And then finally, a disciple is one who's engaged in, in, in uh, Christ's mission to the world. I don't know why it says in his Christ's, but forget the his. Is engaged in Christ's mission to the world. Um, so that brings us to today, discipleship in the Holy Spirit. We've talked about discipleship of youth and children. We talked about that last Sunday. We've talked about the, the role of scriptures in discipleship, that we are a community that is shaped by the scriptures, by the story that John referred to, that story that God has given us the privilege of partnership, uh, to be part of the story that's being written. Um, We've, we've looked at discipleship in community. Dean addressed that. And, and, um, and then Wade talked about the cost of discipleship. But today, I want to talk about the one indispensable thing, and that is the Holy Spirit in discipleship, because it's, after all, His mission. It's, there is no mission without the mission of the Holy Spirit. It is His work. It is His plan. It is His program. And we're called into a partnership. And so... I felt it was appropriate. I'm glad that this landed on Pentecost Sunday. Good timing. Because I think that God uh, has some special things for us today as we look again at the story of Pentecost. So I'm going to just take us through uh, the first 21 verses of, of Acts 2 uh, and just kind of reflect on that and then we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come today had a wonderful time of prayer last night with a group of people that gathered together, and I'm going to call them up a little bit later to help in, the, in, the, in just releasing the Holy Spirit this morning. But God was really with us. I was tired. I, was, I, I realized that I was in that prayer meeting, and it was like two in the morning for me, or one in the morning because of jet lag, and I was so, re, 
so alive. I just, it was electric. And then as soon as the prayer meeting ended, I just dropped like a dish rag. I just, so, I, so there was life, and it was more than adrenaline, believe me. So let me, let me read verse, uh, the first four verses. Uh, being a Pentecostal, <laughs> I grew up on these verses, <laughs> let me tell you. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, the, the significance of Pentecost for this being the day that the Holy Spirit came, have you ever wondered what that's about? Why did God choose Pentecost? Well, let me give you a little background. As Dawson mentioned a couple weeks ago, uh, in Jewish uh, tradition, this isn't in Scripture, but in Jewish tradition, they believed that Pentecost commemorated the giving of the law to Moses on Mount, on, on Mount Sinai. And with all that fire and power and shaking and everything that happened. And, and so in, 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 in many people believe that in... In, 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 a, in a way that Pentecost was the new covenant God giving His Holy Spirit in the same way. And He's now written His law not on tablets, but on our hearts by His Spirit. But there's something even deeper than that that you'll find right in Scripture. And, and that is that Pentecost literally comes from the word weeks. Uh, it was literally called the Feast of Weeks. And the reason it was called the Feast of Weeks is because there was, a, there was a fascinating timing. The Jewish year always began at the full moon of what, what they called the first month. They would, they would literally have somebody at the top of a hill waiting for the full moon to come. And when they did, they would blow a trumpet. And, and, the, and, the, and they would, uh, in ancient times, the months were actually governed by the moons, by the, by the full moon. And when a, a full moon would come, then a, another, that's where the word month comes from, kind of period of the moon. And... <coughs> They would blow the trumpet and the new year would begin and they would count um, 14 days, I think it's 14 days for the Passover from the beginning of the Jewish new year. And they would celebrate the Passover, which of course was remembering them coming out of the Exodus and across the Red Sea. They would have the Passover lamb. And, that, and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread was correlated with that for one week. Then very close to that period, by the way, that explains why Easter is never the same date every year, because the Christian calendar is based on the Passover. They, they, they correlate it with that, and so they follow the Passover, and the Passover is never the same date because it, it follows the moons, whenever those moons, uh, those full moons come. And so, um, when, with, when the... Uh, Right around that time of year, it was springtime, kind of March, Aprilish kind of time, just the times that we celebrate Easter. There was another feast that God asked them to have, and it was, it was the time of um, the first uh, fruits of their crops would begin to come. And as soon as those, the, the, the grain would come up, God would say to them, take the first fruits of your crops, the wheat, the barley, whatever, and come and bring it as an offering to the Lord. And that offering of the first fruits was 
was a very common thing. They would offer the firstborn. And that's where the principle of the tithe came out. Tithing is giving God your first of your income. It's giving God the best and the first. And by doing so, Scripture teaches us that you're, in, you're saying that it's all God's. That He'll sanctify everything you have. So when you bring your tithes into the church and you give them to the Lord, and you give up your independence, and your right to tell your money where to go, and you say, I give it to God, and, he, and, and it says your treasure, where, where your treasure is, there's your heart, so your heart follows your treasure. And I've always seen a correlation between people who tithe and their, their, uh, and the, and their treasure in the, in the local church community. There's a, there's a direct co- correlation. Uh, and that's why I will never have anybody in leadership who doesn't tithe. Because it's, 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 it's not in the Bible. You're not going to have, oh, thou shalt not have somebody in leadership who doesn't tithe. But I've, I've, I've studied the scriptures enough to know that it's unhealthy to have people who have not vested in the church that they're a part of. And then they're, they're wielding authority and influence. It's not healthy. So this, this all comes from the, the first fruits. This all comes from this principle of giving God the first and the best. Of your, of, your, of your resources. And you're saying, Lord, this came from you. Now, what's this got to do with Pentecost? Well, hang on, because it's quite exciting. What God would do is then he'd say, then count from that first fruits offering that you make seven full weeks. At the end of the seven weeks, you're to have another celebration, and it was a co- to commemorate the harvest is in full swing. And... You're to have another party. God, if you read the the law, it's not some kind of daunting law, you know, legalistic thing. There's a lot about parties in there. God just, oh, here's another occasion for a party. Have one. Oh, here's another occasion for a party. Have one here. Oh, yeah, have another party here. I mean, that's that's really, I mean, they had parties all through the year. I mean, I can just see the Israelites, they just get home in their caravan from from a party in Jerusalem. Oh, my goodness, it took us long enough to get home. And now it's time to turn around and go back for another party. So God loved celebrations. But the beautiful thing about this Feast of Pentecost is it commemorated that the harvest has arrived. The harvest has ripened. It's time to bring in the harvest. And he said, have a party. And while you're harvesting, don't forget, don't go back and pick up the gleanings of your harvest. You know, when they had the the instruments, the threshing instruments that would harvest the wheat and the barley. they'd be picking it up, but there'd be leftovers everywhere they went. And God said, leave it. Let the poor, the widow, and the orphan of the land come and collect so that their needs can be met. And when you have your party, invite the foreigner and the orphan and the widow and the poor. The Pentecost was about inclusion. It was about everybody's gets to play. Everybody's welcome. There's just this... That's why, that's to me, uh, what Chili Wagon is, Gordy. It's this uh, party with our friends on the drive. Not, we're not feeding them, we're eating with them. We're celebrating with them. And there's something of God's presence that comes in that event every week that doesn't come any other time. It's His heart for the poor, the orphan, the marginalized the widow. And so, it's this celebration. What, what does that tell you about God picking this date? What does it tell you about God picking this date? That that's when the Holy Spirit was given to the church. 
The day when the full harvest is ripe, it's ready to be brought in. Um, by the way, I don't know if you guys know this, but speaking of discipling our children and youth, we intentionally follow the church calendar in our readings. And I encourage you to talk to your kids about the time of the year it is. To, to look at the readings that were... And there's a lectionary link. You're welcome to look at that. It's one of the most powerful things. Trusted, tried, true ways of discipling the next generation the church has used for 2,000 years. And I say, if it works, don't fix it. Now, I know it can get, you know, uh, boring and uh, an empty tradition. I know that. But it's, it's really the key is the disciplers. It's you. Is it alive in you, right? So, I mean... I encourage you, if you haven't already done so, to talk to your kids about Pentecost this day and why the church celebrates that. You say, well, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, the whole Old Testament is full of God giving the church, the, his, the Old Testament church, special days, feasts, times, Passover, to disciple your kids, to tell your kids about the story so they can not only learn the story but become part of the story. And so the, the early church, in their wisdom, looked at what God did in the Old Testament and said, well, let's just take, let's take the New Testament story and let's do the same thing. And so here's the interesting thing. Now, the early church didn't pick up on this right away. But after it was all over, you know, the death of Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, and Pentecost, the early church went, whoa, when did the cross happen? Right around Passover. When did the Feast of First Fruits happen? When did it land on that year? Does anybody know? Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday was the Feast of First Fruits that day, that year. And when did Pentecost? When, did, when was the Spirit poured out on Pentecost? What? And the church began to realize God in His sovereignty had allowed the New Testament, the, the, the real Passover lamb, to be slain right around Passover. The first fruits happened on the resurrection, and Paul refers that, doesn't he? In, in 1 Corinthians 15, he refers to Christ, the first fruits of all of us who will rise from the dead. And then Pentecost. Seven weeks later, the Spirit of God is poured out. The harvest begins. Full harvest. It's time to bring in the harvest. So it's about celebrating with the poor. It's about inclusion. No, everybody gets to play. Everybody's included. And this, this um, theme of everybody gets to play is, is, is played out as we look at the Pentecost story. Let's look at verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, what sound? The rushing wind, right? The Holy Spirit, which, by the way, the word wind is the same word for spirit in the Greek and the Hebrew. Wind, breath, it's the same word. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Now, remember that, the, that Jews from all over the world would come to celebrate Passover and often stay for Pentecost, which was only seven weeks later. You know, they didn't, couldn't travel fast. They didn't have planes. I mean, I, I left, if it hadn't been for that storm in Montreal, I practically would have arrived sooner than I departed <laughs> on my plane. I mean, the travel nowadays is unbelievable. 
So sometimes we forget that to come, they would stay, and many would stay for Pentecost, or some would just come for Pentecost. Um, and they were from all over the world. And it wasn't just Jews, it was Gentiles, who also were what were called God-fearers, who were interested in the Jewish faith. In verse 7, Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? So a miracle of language was happening here. And so the, there's, there's, there's not only the inclusion of the marginalized, the poor, the orphan, the widow, the chili wagon celebration, but there's also the inclusion of the nations. Last night in our prayer meeting, uh, we, we prayed that God would bring the nations into our church because the nations are in our city and we're just far too white. I mean, I'm not against white. White's not bad. But we just, if, if we're going to be a picture of heaven, God wants to bring the nations. And I'm praying for elders in our church who are Vietnamese and Chinese and Spanish and, and Japanese. And First Nations, and Aboriginal, Métis, whatever, right? Ukrainians! Oh, we have one. That's me. All right. And Huguenot, I'm a French. I'm, I'm a Heinz 57 mongrel. Anyway. Yeah. So, these people were from all over the world. Verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them, in, hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites. Now, these were Jews. They're not, but, but they, they had recognized citizenship in their own country. So there's levels of, of, of identity going on here, right? Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Man, I wonder if that's where the Cappadocians got their roots from, right? My heroes, Basil in Caesarea. And these, uh, time? Cappuccino, that's where that came from. See, Gordy's always so full of insight. He needs to preach more. Verse 10, Perga, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya. This is Africa. Visitors from Rome, as I said a few weeks ago, this is probably how the Roman church started. No, it wasn't Peter, sorry, that founded the Roman church. It was certainly Peter's influence. He preached powerfully on Pentecost. These people were impacted. And after they had come to Christ, remember the early church said, you shouldn't take off right away. We're going to take a big offering and we're going to let you stay around for a while, let you get discipled. That common purse thing was not to be a rule of thumb for the church. That was how the church started. I think it, it flavored what the church is to be about. But it was so they could disciple these people who were from all over the world for a season and then send them back. I, I, I had the leaders of Canada's denominations praying over me this week and laying hands on me over my grief over the amount of people that have left this year. Not bad leavings, good leavings. Leavings like John and Jeannie's today. And we got news of Dawson and Leona in a couple of months. And, 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 I, and I, I, just, I just said to them, I don't know how many more times my heart can be broken. I don't know how many more. I know, yeah, Simon announced this week. And the word that the Lord gave me was graduation. That we're to see it as graduation. 
that, that we are to be ascending church. And Jesus has promised, as we read in the text, His comfort. He says, it's better for you that I go away. If it's better for us that Jesus goes away, then maybe it's better for us that the ones who feel called to go, go away. There's a reason for that. It's better for them. It's better for us. Not, not, not because we go, oh, good riddance. That's not the point. But it's because God is strategically working. And when it's time to go, it's time to go. Now, unfortunately, in our society, that often gets co-opted by individualism and independence, where people just kind of, there's a lot of restless mobility where people are on the move for the wrong reasons. It's, it's for material things. It's because our resource-based economy co- makes people feel they have to go around just to make ends meet. But I'm talking about a missional sense of leaving, a missional sense of being sent. And, and, and our perspective as a church is to give. Well, that's it, right in the genetic code of the church at Pentecost. Right? So, so the word of the Lord was graduation. So these people were all being discipled at Antioch and, or at, at Jerusalem, and they were going, we got a mega church. Woohoo! Well, look how big we are. Right? And then all of a sudden people said, well, I, I got I to go home. It's time to go. Right? And I'm so glad the church blessed them and released them. Because of that, we have a Roman church. We had the Roman church, and we had the church in northern Africa, and churches in, in the Cappadocia, in the land of Cappuccino, and all of that, right? Verse 14, or verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Now, that tells me something, that the, the, the emotional response that these people were experiencing to the Holy Spirit caused a misinterpretation. They weren't just going, praise God, He's good, hallelujah. There was something that made people think they were drunk. Verse 14, then Peter said, stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, And all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose, or as my dad likes to interpret, these people are drunk, but not in the way you suppose. (laughs) It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. That in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Now, listen carefully to what Peter says, quoting Joel. First of all, God says there's coming an era of the Spirit. In the Old Testament... We need to understand that God has always worked as a team, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when God created the earth, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all were involved, but the Father was the primary person involved at that point. And in the work of the, of, in the Old Testament with the Jewish people, the Father was the primary person. Now the Holy Spirit and Jesus were involved too. John 1 says Jesus was also through whom the Father created all things. And in Genesis 1-3, it says the Holy Spirit was, was brooding over the waters. So we know the Son and the Spirit were involved in creation and in the Old Testament, but it was the Father who had the preeminence at that point. 
But then when we move to the New Testament, the Son takes center stage and He becomes our Redeemer. But the Father, we know, is very engaged as He spoke from heaven. This is my Son. And Paul says God was in Christ. And I think he's referring to the Father. The Father was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself. And the Holy Spirit was involved. He came powerfully upon Jesus. The very word Christ means anointed one. One who has the Holy Spirit. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they were a team, but they knew how to pass. I, kinda, I, I always use basketball illustrations because that's my tradition. <laughs> and in a basketball game, somebody's got the ball, right? Somebody's always got the ball. You can't have more than, than, than one ball in a basketball game or, you know, it gets kind of confusing. So there's one ball, one guy's got the ball, but you know that the guy or gal is not alone, that there's a team and that they're very much a part. If, if I had the ball and I was playing a team against a team and I was the only one, I'd be in trouble. And so there's a team that's working, right? And so it's in the Old Testament, the father had the ball and then he passed the ball to the son and the son was the redeemer in the New Testament. And now it's time to pass the ball. Pentecost is when the father and the son pass the ball to the Holy Spirit. Why am I smiling? I like basketball. No, no, I, I... So it's the Holy Spirit's turn. In the Old Testament, the era of this... Uh, it was not... It, they called it the... There was no Holy Spirit. That's what characterized the Old Testament. He was there, but it was very unpredictable and sporadic. Remember that time when they said, Moses, you're burning out. You're doing the bulletin, you're counting the offering, you're greeting people at the door, and then you're trying to preach and lead worship at the same time. You're doing too much. Everybody gets to play, Moses. So God says to Moses, find 70 elders, lay hands on them, and put your spirit in them. Put your spirit. And so he laid hands on them, on these 70 elders, and they began to prophesy. And then there's two orangutans who didn't make it, and they were late for the meeting. They're probably from the vineyard. They, were, they didn't make it for the meeting, they were late. And the Spirit of God came on them and they started prophesying. And a young guy comes up to Moses and said, Make them stop, make them stop. You didn't lay hands on them. And he said, Oh, that all of God's people prophesied. And oh, that all of God's people had His Spirit on them. And Moses' cry was actually a prophecy of this era that you and I are in. The age of the Holy Spirit. The age that Joel affirmed in this prophecy saying, There is coming a time when God will pour out His Spirit on all. All people, not just men, but women, not just adults, but children, not just rich, but poor, not just white people, but pink people. Oh, that's me. I am pink. <laughs> Including the nations, everyone included. So, so it's multi-generational, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. As we said last week, 85% of all people who will ever give their life to Christ will do so between the age of 4 and 14. 85% of all people who ever give their life to Christ will do so between the age of 4 and 14. So we, and, and as we said last week, we need, it's not just that we need to disciple our children. We need our children to be disciples. Our children disciple us. 
It was just so wonderful to walk in this morning and get hugs and kisses and, and welcomes from, my ch- from our children in the church. I'm claiming them. Uh, as I walk in and I realize I need that. I need this. I need them. Both men and women. It's interesting. I grew up as a Pentecostal. And by the time I, I, I came along, the Pentecostals had, were starting to get a bit fossilized. And what I mean by that is often in early movements, whether it's Alliance or Wesleyan, or, we start in revival and then we, we start to try to manage God. We start to try to manage and structure this thing. And so by the time I came along, there was, there was a lot of thing about women can't be pastors and can't be uh, elders and can't be in leadership. But then I'd hear these stories of these incredible women who had traveled to other parts of the world and founded churches in India and in Africa. They had, they had not only founded the churches, but they discipled them and released national leaders in these churches. And I couldn't understand as a kid why it is. And, and other denominations, will t- the Alliance will tell you the same. This same thing is they come back here and they're not allowed to teach. <laughs> they come back here and they're not allowed to lead. And you go, what's wrong with this picture? It's so characteristic of every move of the Holy Spirit is these gender things are removed. The Holy Spirit moves and we begin to see God raising up whom He will raise up. And it's not about your gender, your ethnicity, your age. It's about your gifting and the call of God on your life. And what are your, whatever you're gifted to do, do it. We will bless you to do that. Say amen, or if you're Bobby, say a woman. All right. (laughs) Then God said this, and I'm going to wrap it up with this. Famous last words. Where's Gordy? Here we are, okay. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth below, blood, fire, and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now our text ends here with a, not only the, the radical inclusion of, of men and women and children and, and elderly, by the way, I forgot the old men, that was included in there, the elderly, the aged. There's a gray revolution going on, there's, there's just a wave of baby boomers retiring in the church who are, who are just waiting to be fathers and mothers, just waiting to make disciples, to be, to be, to be useful. I mean, I... I Gary and Joy, I mean, they're amazing. Here they are, 65 years of age, or around that time they're retiring. And I look at them, and, they, and I go, there's no way you're retiring. There is no way. I mean, I, I could see them more busy than ever. And ask, ask Dixie and others that have retired. It ends up happening. Because we need these aged ones filled with the Holy Spirit, and we need their wisdom. We need that. You know what our generation needs? we got enough knowledge. I mean, I can start giving you facts I remember Bree, when we were at your house, I'd start talking about something. Bree would start filling me in before I'd finish the, the sentence because she was on the internet. You know? And, and, and so it's not an issue of knowledge. You know what our, our generation needs? Wisdom. See, knowledge, wisdom is what you do with knowledge. What do you do with that? Right? So, so not only the reconciliation of of the, the old and the young generations. I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. But the, of genders, that, that we are returned to that pre-fall reality where men and women 
co-rule on the earth and reflect the image of God, male and female. Which patriarchy came in off the, after the fall and where men, men began to oppress women and women, instead of being partners, became property. The Holy Spirit redeems that to what the pre-fall reality where men and women together partnering reflect the image of God. But then creation... Joel finishes off with a declaration of creation. Is you're going to see signs and wonders. And uh, last week, one of my friends used to be in our youth group in Calgary sent me this this link so that I could watch live the eclipse that happened last Sunday. They call it the Ring of Fire. What that is is the sun. This was a live telescope feed into our, my internet uh, from 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 the LA area, from Southern California. And what was unique about this eclipse is it was the moon eclipsing the sun, but normally when the moon eclipses the sun, it totally covers it because of, of the, the distance. But the distance this time made it so that it formed this ring of fire. And I was reflecting on that, saying, interesting, you know, Pentecost Sunday coming up, Sunday weekend, signs in the heavens above and then the earth beneath. I don't want to read too much into it, except that I think we need to be watchful of these things. And then, as Kathleen mentioned, I was sitting on the tarmac in Montreal, getting ready to fly back from a connection from St. John to Vancouver. And I'm sitting on the tarmac, getting ready for our flight to go, and all of a sudden the captain says, um, we're not going anywhere for a while. Uh, there's a severe storm. They've called all the workers off the the tarmac, so they called all the, the airline workers, you know, the guys that signal and all that stuff, they called them off the tarmac into back into the airport, and just this unbelievably powerful uh, lightning storm, and wind, and rain, and the plane was just like this, and, and so we had about an hour and a half delay, which meant that I, was, I planned on coming home at 10.30 p.m., catching the sky train and transit home, I ended up getting back about 1 a.m., I caught the last SkyTrain of the day from the airport, and about the last number 14 bus on Hastings. I get off the SkyTrain at, at Granville and Hastings. I walk outside, and there's a guy laying motionless on the street. I yelled, are you okay? And he didn't make a sound. I offered a prayer, and I, I yelled at a police officer. I said, hey, you know, and they came around, called emergency. Who knows, maybe my hour and a half delay spared a life. I don't know. But I get on the bus and I just see the uh, 2 a.m. now, it's getting 1.30 to 2 a.m. on Main and Hastings, and I see the, the human drama unfolding before me. 2 a.m. on Main and Hastings as I'm taking the bus home. And I said, oh God, I need, we need your Holy Spirit. We need a new Pentecost. But the next day, as I read the news, I found out that this storm that two, two tornadoes had, had touched down within minutes of where I was sitting on the plane. And one of the buildings that was hit by the tornado was a church. And this is what's left of it. So my, my question for you is, what do you think God might be saying on the eve of Pentecost Sunday, a church is hit by a rushing mighty wind, and this is what's left of it? <laughs> Honey, I shrunk the church. Isn't that? Uh, yeah. 
So these are, these are things that I think you just keep note of. You just say, hey, uh, Lord, we're listening. We're, we're, we're waiting. We need a new Pentecost. And so the exhortation from Paul years later as he writes the Ephesians is he says, listen, Pentecost was never meant to be a one-off. It was never meant to be some kind of strange, you know, phenomena. That it was meant to be an ongoing experience Keep on being, be not drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. What is debauchery? It's where your inhibitions are reduced so that you would do things you normally wouldn't do as a disciple of Jesus. And so, in self of self-control, exactly. He says, don't, don't be influenced. Don't be under the influence that way. You know? You'll you wake up the next morning and go, what did I do? What did I say? Oh, my God. Don't do that, he said. But don't stop there. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, Gordy, how do I do that? Well, there's only one precondition. There's only one prerequisite to being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is... Jesus stood up on the last day, the great day of the feast, which was a day, uh, I think, was it Tabernacles, Dawson? I can't remember which feast that was, but it's where they take the water from the, the Pool of Siloam and they pour it on the altar. And they do that every day. They take, they take these great big vials of, of water. This is, what they, this is probably more Jewish tradition than in Scripture, but they would take these big buckets of water from this gentle pool that was back from the days of, of, of Hezekiah. They would take the waters from the pool of Shiloh and they would take it up to the altar in the temple and they would every day pour these great big buckets. And Jesus snuck into the feast. His life was in danger by this time, but he snuck into the feast and one day he's watching this and he can contain himself no more and he stands up. Now as a youth pastor, I used to do that a lot more limberly. I have to be careful these days. But uh, he stood up and he said, all who are thirsty... If anyone is thirsty, he sees this water. If he can contain it no more, he says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. For those who believe in me, as the scripture says. What scripture? Lots of them. Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone that's thirsty, come to the waters. You have no money, come and buy and eat. Isaiah 12. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. That's the scriptures. He said, as the scripture says, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And John interprets it. He says, and this he spoke of the spirit which had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. But he's now been given. Thank you, Esther. So, what's the criteria if anyone is hungry, if anyone is thirsty? As I walked through Maine and Hastings on Friday night, Saturday morning actually, 2 a.m., I walked and I said, oh God, hunger. Hunger. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. And there's so much hunger and thirst all around me. Jesus, please, Give us a new Pentecost. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? If you are, why don't you stand right now? We're going to pray for a new Pentecost.
I'm just going to invite those that were here last night at the prayer to come down. Sorry, guys, I was going to do this earlier, but our, our service was, had gone on a bit longer. We had a beautiful gathering of prayer last night, just a night of prayer. And I know a lot of you would, would love to have been here, but just stuff was going, and you were here with us in heart and spirit. But the ones who were here, it ended up being 12 of us. And there, there was a real prophetic word that came about just the fact that we are giving as a church and we are releasing and we are blessing and sending. And going back to the story of the 5,000 that Jesus took the bread, he took what was made available, he blessed, he broke, and he gave it. But by the time it was over, there was 12 baskets, there was abundance left over for the disciples who may have been worried, we're giving the last bread away, there's going to be nothing left, right? And the word was, there will always be enough if our hand is like this and not like this. Our hand is like this. So we want to pray. That the word came that we were supposed to pray over you and bless you uh, as a congregation to receive the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm just going to uh, release uh, just different ones of you to pray. Mm-hmm. I want to start with it. But then just different ones. I feel, Simon, you're supposed to pray. You had the word. And anybody else, just, we just want to pray over you for a few minutes. And Lord, we're hungry. We're thirsty. Lord, we have no idea what hunger and thirst is often in our land. People from Ethiopia and Sudan, in Rwanda, and different parts of the world, they understand hunger and thirst in a way we never will probably. But Lord, we learn from our sisters and brothers today. And we realize that we are parched and thirsty and weary in a weary and parched land. And your promise was that you would pour out water on the thirsty, floods on the dry ground. And we're thirsty and we're dry. Lord, as the vineyard, it's it's so easy for us to, to have a name that lives but be dead. And Lord, we ask for life that without your spirit, we are dead. It doesn't matter how many good programs we have, or gifts. Lord, it doesn't matter what our success rate has been or or what we've accomplished in the past. That without your Spirit, we die. So we ask that you give us your Spirit, Lord. We ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Would you pour out your Spirit on us? And just whatever posture that, just you, you can raise your hands or just, Wait quietly if you want to go on your knees or just whatever. Just, just receive the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be refreshed and renewed. As we were praying, I looked up and I actually literally saw manna coming down from the ceiling last night. And I said, what? Is that dust? But it was like it was kind of like in the desert when they they came out, and they went through the Red Sea, and then you know they're in this wilderness, and they were really really in need, and Jesus said, "I will be the bread, I will come down," and we and we had a, a Christine was talking about uh, later on about the the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, but I think sometimes we feel like, oh, we're so reticent to actually state what we need, and I feel like the Lord wants to be you know proven today and he is the manna which means whatever they needed in the desert he provided he gave them the bread that they needed to live and not to famish and he gave them as Gordy said the water so even now 
uh, just whatever it is that you need. Do you need healing? Do you need deliverance? Do you need, um, you know, according to his riches and glory, do you need finances? Do you need an open door? Do you need a job? The Lord says that he wants to be faithful. He wants to be our provider. So I literally saw manna come down from the ceiling, and that was crazy. And I just, I just thank you, Lord, that uh, you have just been touching me, Lord, and I refuse to look at what is not. You want us to look at what is through you and your provision. So I release to this family, I release to all of us what manna is. What is it? Manna, what is it? Whatever it is that we need, Lord, you mm, want to be just want to encourage you to come for prayer today. I know that often we encourage prayer where you are, but I sense today that if you need prayer, if, if Kathleen's touched on some areas where, of need that you have today, that you, you come and just let one of us pray. It's not that we're special, but we just want to obey what we sense the Holy Spirit was saying. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Esther received the gift of tongues, and I'd like to pray for people to receive the gift of tongues, the, their prayer language. Uh, there, there's, I believe, an anointing to receive that. And uh, it was just a powerful sense of God's presence on you, Esther, when we prayed. And so uh, if you'd like to receive that, just come and talk to me, and, and we'd like, I'd like to pray. And if some of you want to be part of praying for people to receive the gift of tongues, just want to observe kind of just how that happens, uh, please, just I, I want to release more of you to do this, yeah. so you need to see kind of how, it's ha- how it happens and, and encourage your faith so that, that you can pray for people that way as well. Is it okay? Do, uh, we, I, we are past our child time. pickup time, but let's just, any more quick words before? Uh, yeah. The word the Lord gave to me last night was, for those who are feeling hopeless at the end of the line and they <laughs> just don't know, they don't know where to turn, the psalmist said, that God himself was his hope. Yeah. The almighty, eternal God was his hope. Now, if you can just latch on to that fact, that God himself yeah. becomes your hope, you'll be revived and you'll have reason to live, to go on and to realize there's just so much that he has for us and that we can have that hope in him. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Paul also said that he, he, this is a new season for him. He's been getting a lot of healing and that he no longer wants to be a bystander. He, want, he doesn't want to be a spectator. He wants to be one that's going to step up and, get, and participate. And, and we're just really excited about what God's doing in him. It was, it was uh, anybody else? Just any, any words you want to give? Simon? Hi, thank you. Um, just to share a quick little bit about what we did last night. Um, most of us did fasting, and it was a season of um, putting off our strength to know the Lord's. Hmm. And um, when you're in the middle of fasting, especially if it's a, it's a lot instead of a little, you learn that you ask for more from the Lord. Hmm. And it's more of a joy mm-hmm. to receive from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as what we have or what we're hoping for you today here is just even kind of what's left over from last night gathered up uh, from us here. Um, Yeah, I don't know if anybody else wants to uh, speak to that. I know Anne-Marie had a prayer 
that she didn't get to pray. No? Okay. Um, but if anybody has anything along those lines. Uh, Gloria, you kind of shared a real faith about reaching out. If you get tired, you can sit down. <laughs> the, the, during my fasting, what I kept seeing was our, our church expanding, uh, our church growing and reaching out to the community. And I saw us worshiping in, in the round. And um, it was... It, what, I, what I got was that not to be afraid to to share and to invite mm-hmm. and when you see the spark in someone's eye when when you say i'm going to church or or sharing your faith invite them don't yeah. be afraid to invite them because they are looking and they are searching too um yeah. that was the word that i got yeah awesome Well, let me bless you, and, and then we're just going to open it up for, it's not over, but I, just practicalities, we need to bless our kids' workers, and bless our kids, and pick them up, and sign them out, and uh, just uh, the limitations of our humanity, we have these limits, so uh, we'll respect that, but uh, let me just bless you, uh, may the grace of our Lord Jesus, and the love uh, of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, be with you this week and always. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you, I just encourage you to come for prayer. If you just want to sit and pray with someone where you are, that's fine too. Uh, we're here to pray with you. If you want to receive uh, prayer, minist- prayer language or receive ministry for any of the needs that were mentioned or something that wasn't mentioned, God's here. God bless you. Have a Holy Spirit-filled, empowered week.